Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. Though, honestly, I know that this is not the happiest of Memorial Day weekends for many of you. You, over the last few months, you've lost loved ones, and man, it is hard to get closure and to grieve thoroughly when you can't gather together with friends and family for a funeral. So my heart goes out to you. My my prayers go up for you. I know when I was a kid, Memorial Day meant uh, going to the cemetery with my family and my grandma, particularly, to put flowers on my grandpa's grave. And I thought after all these years in the ministry, I I was immune to the sadness of the cemetery. But back in 1984, my dad's mom, my grandma Ruby, passed away, and I and my brother and my cousins were asked to be pallbearers at her funeral. And um, dang, that the, the walk, carrying my grandma Ruby's casket from the church to the hearse and sliding it into the hearse and then out of the hearse and walking to the graveside and setting it down, I, I just felt like that was the longest moment of my life, longest walk of my life, most challenging. Um, I, I mean, I was already depressed. I had been here serving this church for a little over two years, and I mean, I was working hard, I was trying my best, but it seemed like none of my efforts, none of my ideas were bearing any fruit or making any kind of difference. I felt like a complete failure. And when my grandma Ruby passed away, it was like something broke within me, something snapped, something collapsed, and it was like I was shaken uh, to the core of my being. And I would imagine you've been there, that one more horrible problem is piled up on a big pile of painful problems. And and when it happens, that last one, that wearying weight, you just, bam, something just collapses inside you. Maybe it's a collapse of your marriage or a, a, a serious and severe financial reversal. Maybe it's a loss of a job or uh, the pain of being stuck in, in, in an addiction or suffering abuse or being bitterly betrayed by someone you, you trusted. We all know what that feels like when we just start to collapse on, on the inside. And now this really should be no surprise to any one of us because the word of God alerts us to being shaken to the core of who we are. This is chapter 12, book of Hebrews. It says, all creation, that means me, that means you, that means everybody, all creation will be shaken so that only unshakable things remain. Now, that's bad news. Everyone, you, me, everybody, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, Everyone gets shaken to the core of their being. 
But, but, but it sets up, it becomes a prelude to this incredible best news ever, only unshakable things remain. You know, what I found is this. If when you go through a difficult circumstance, when you've got a painful impossibility, if you're only holding on to things that can be shaken, you're going to be shaken. But if you're holding on to an unshakable God, you'll never be shaken. Get this. Go home um, with this. Go through your week with this truth. If you're only holding on to what can be shaken, then you'll be shaken. But if you're holding on to all that cannot be shaken, you'll be unshakable. Unshakable. I mean, everybody around you may be losing their minds, losing their patience, losing their joy, losing a grip. But you'll be more than steady. You'll be more than stable. You'll be unshakable because you're holding on to the only one who is unshakable, King Jesus. Look as the text goes on, Hebrews 12. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, kingdom has a king. Our unshakable King Jesus is the king of our king kingdom. He's the one that makes the kingdom unshakable. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let's be thankful and please God by worshiping him that perspective changes everything. It gets your, not just refocused on your unshakable Jesus, but reattached to your unshakable Jesus so that when all around you is shaken, you're holding on to the unshakable Jesus and you remain unshakable. Now my, my grandma Ruby uh, understood what it meant to be shaken. Um, the Bible has a metaphor for these times in life when we are shaken to the core. The, the Bible calls them valleys. And you, you go through the low, dark valleys of life and you're just kind of stumbling and staggering your way through, losing your sense of direction. That's why you need to hold on to King Jesus to steady you. But, but my grandma Ruby understood about the dark valleys of life that can shake you up. She, she lived through the Great Depression and two world wars. She knew poverty firsthand and disease and the death of her husband. But my grandma Ruby held on to the unshakable Jesus. I want to show you a picture of her, head, of her headstone at her grave. Notice the banner above her name. It reads, the Lord is my shepherd. Now I say Psalm 23 um, every single day to myself. I just made throughout the, the day whisper to myself. I mean, life gets challenging. Life gets hard. And I just say, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm at peace because the Lord is my shepherd. I have joy because the Lord is my shepherd. I have hope because the Lord is my shepherd. But here's how I'm learning to say it. In the midst of the valleys of life, the Lord is my unshakable shepherd. So I shall not be Shaken. And remember how that psalm goes on? Um, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, where are you going to find a green pasture? On the mountaintop of life? I don't think so. I've been to the top of the mountain. Green pastures are in the, in the valleys at the low points. But it, this is a point that um, God, our unshakable Lord, 
gives us rest even in dark valleys. And then it goes on to say, he leads me beside still waters. Now, where do you find a, a gentle stream? On a mountaintop? No, there's no streams there. You find the gentle stream in the valley. This is an indication that even in the dark, painful valleys of life, when our future is so uncertain, Jesus is providing everything we need. He's our unshakable shepherd. He restores our soul. He leads us along a path where everything is right. Decisions are made right. Behaviors are right. And then that text that's so famous, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for my unshakable God is with me. Um, I want to show you a picture. I mean, the valley of the shadow of death is a real place in Israel. I've had opportunities to see it a, a number of times, not from the bottom, but from the top. It's a very narrow canyon. I have a picture for you. In this narrow canyon, um, it, it, the walls are steep and hundreds of feet high so that as the sun rises and sets, it only has opportunity to shine into the shadow for a brief time around noon. All the rest of the day at the bottom of the canyon, if you're walking through it, you're walking through shadow. There's no life in this canyon. It is desolate. It only contains death. The valley of the shadow of death. Um, let me help you understand by taking you back. 3,000 years, 3,000 years, 3,000 years ago, 33 nations united their armies against one nation, the nation of Israel, God's people, and they surrounded the capital city. They laid siege. It was going to be a bloodbath. It was going to be a massacre. 33 nations against one. Israel only had 7,000 soldiers, but God speaks to the king of Israel. He says, don't be afraid. I am with you. I will fight for you. And I will give you a staggering, overwhelming victory against these forces arrayed against you. You just go out and fight. And so they did. They opened the gates. Those 7,000 soldiers charged into those 33 armies arrayed against them. And they won the victory. God gave them the victory against all odds. It was a God thing. He showed up and showed up just as he does in my life, against all odds, just as he does in your life. Well, one year later, those 33 nations united their armies again. And they said to themselves, hey, Israel's God is a God of the mountains, mountaintop God, but he's not a God of the valleys. So let's go back. We lost last year because we tried to fight on the mountains. Let's go back. We'll fight them in the valleys and we will defeat them soundly. So once again, they arrayed themselves around the capital city. Once again, God speaks to the heart of the king of Israel. And he says, you see that vast army out there again? They're saying, I'm just the God of the mountains. But I'm telling you, I'm the God of the valleys too. You go fight, I will fight with you, I will fight for you, and you will get the victory because I am with you. This is the way that you will know that I am the Lord and I am with you. And that's what happened. God went with them, God fought for them, and they won an overwhelming, history-changing victory over 33 armies arrayed against them. This is how our God works. It's 
It's beyond belief. It's too good to be true, but it's too true to be denied. Our God is, I mean, we feel him when we're on the mountaintops of life, when our marriage is on the mountaintop or our finances are on the mountaintop or we're on the mountaintop emotionally. But our God is God. He is unshakable God, even when our, even when our emotions are in the valley and even when our marriages are in a dark and difficult place, even when our parenting is is in the valley, even when our finances are bottomed out, God is the God of our valleys, and he will give us victory after victory after victory after victory when we let him fight for us, when we trust him, when we keep holding on to this God who is unshakable. Now, in the Bible, as it uses a valley as a metaphor for the dark times, the low times, the painful times of life, it has seven different valleys for seven different kinds of dark times. There's the valley of sin, the valley of suffering, the valley of trouble, the valley of weeping, the valley of decision, the valley of death. Now, one thing that's common in all these valleys, the people who find themselves going through these dark, difficult, painful valleys, they get struck by a, a panicky, paralyzing fear. They can't go forward. They long to go backward. They long to get out of the situation they're in. That's most people in these valleys in the Bible. But notice I said most, not all, because there is a significant minority contingent of people who in the darkest of valleys, who in the most difficult of situations, they keep holding on to the unshakable God. They're not holding on to what can be shaken, their money or their health or their relationships. They're holding on to the unshakable God. They get this faith focus that keeps moving them forward through the dark valley all the way to victory on the other side. Now, what I want to do right now is take you into two of these valleys mentioned in Scripture. Because if we learn how to move forward, how to keep pushing forward, how to go forward in faith through these two valleys, we'll know the secret of getting through any valley life throws at us. I mean, right now we're going through a, a whole world is going through a, a virus valley. Didn't see it coming. Turned our world upside down. So let's look first at the Valley of Decision. It's actually, its literal name is the Valley of Eskal. And uh, let me give you the backstory. For 400 years, God's people, Israel, have been bound in cruel slavery in Egypt. 400 years of slavery. But God sends his man, Moses, to get them free, to get them released. And God has promised I, I've got a land that's going to be all your own. I'm promising you that in this land you'll prosper. I'm, I'm promising you that in this land you'll find wealth. I'm promising you that in this land you'll find peace and hope. Everything you need. You're going to get wells you did not dig. You're going to get houses you did not build. You're going to get uh, uh, businesses. And you're going to have orchards that you didn't plant. That's your promised land. And so... It takes God, actually, an entire year to lead his people, Israel, Moses leading, an entire year to get them from the border of Egypt to the border of this land of promise. 
And what they do then, they uh, put together a team of 12 spies, a reconnaissance team sent out to scope out, to scout out this promised land. Is it true? Is God exaggerating? Is he just blowing smoke? Or is this an incredible place, a place of wealth and prosperity? God called it a land flowing, overflowing with milk and honey. And, and so the spies go out and they're like, oh my gosh, this is everything God said and more. This is unbelievable. In fact, finally, at the end of their scouting, the conclusion is entering the valley of Eskal. And they find such rich produce. Listen to the word of God. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large that it took two of them, two men, to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of pomegranates and figs. These guys are like, this is everything God said it would be. This is awesome. This is such promise. But no one's going to believe us. we got to take back evidence to show them that God is good to his word. we got to show them examples of the land God is promising us. Um, well, before I go on with that story, I, I just want you to know that this is actually a, a trust test for these people. God had taken a year to finally get them where he wanted them, from Egypt to the border of the promised land, but would they trust him? Now, the same is true for you. God has a personal promised land for every aspect of your life, for your relationships, for your emotions. Your promised land is described by the promises of God in his word. Jesus called it the super abundant life. A a, a life of superabundant joy, a life of superabundant peace, a life of superabundant hope, love, things money cannot buy and sometimes things that money can buy. You have a promised land, but you will also face a trust test. What happens in our story is that two of the spies come back, their names are Joshua and Caleb, They come back and say, oh my gosh, you guys, God is as good as his word. Look at these fruit. Look look at the evidence. This land is better than we ever dreamed. Let's go take what God has promised us and prepared for us. Isn't that amazing? God has prepared this promised land life for you. He's got it all prepared. You just got to keep trusting and stay attached to the unshakable God. But before Joshua and Caleb could hardly get these words out of their mouths, the other 10 spies just shouted them down. They said, that may be true. This fruit may be good, big, rich, unbelievable. But the people living in that land are bigger than us. They're stronger than us. They're more than us. Their cities are walled and fortified and huge in size. Anybody that enters that land will die. Now that bad report sent a panic and a fear through the people of Israel. And you know what they said? They said, hey, let's get back to normal. Here's how they said it exactly. Um, They said, wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? We want to go back to normal. Now, have you, over the course of the last few months, have you 
Have you heard anyone in your life say, hey, look, I can't wait to get back to normal? Have you caught yourself saying, can't wait to get back to normal? You know, I, I, I did some research in the Word of God this week, and from beginning to, to end, I could not find one occurrence of God saying to anybody he loved, hey, let's get back to normal. Uh, not Noah, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Joseph, not Gideon, uh, not Peter, not the Apostle Paul, not even his own son Jesus. He didn't invite them to go back to normal. He invited them to push forward in faith and embrace the new future. It would be different. It would have new challenges. But it was his promised land. In fact, what these people all found was that their future was way better than the normal that they had left behind. Abraham became the father of our faith. Noah saved his family and saved the planet. Um, Joseph made a way for though things were intended for evil to turn out to good. Gideon saved the nation. Peter got to preach the first gospel sermon and saw thousands baptized. The apostle Paul, he didn't want to go back to normal. He stayed in a jail cell and wrote most of the New Testament. And Jesus said to his, one of his closest friends, Peter, Peter, put away your sword. Don't fight for me, man. If I wanted to go back to normal, I'd call down 10,000 angels. No, I'm going on. He was going on to a cross, and he was going on to a resurrection. He was going on to a victory for us. So one of the secrets of getting through a valley of shadow, the, the, the shadow of discouragement, the shadow of despair, the shadow of defeat, the, the shadow of death, is not to want to go back where you came from but to push forward in faith to the promised land that God has for you, the promised life, characterized by the promises of his word. So here's what I've learned about valleys by my study of scripture. One, they're temporary. Scripture says you'll go through. Notice that word emphasized, through the valley of the shadow of death and be unafraid. Why? Because you, God, are with me. So valleys are temporary. This too will pass. But the promises of God's word are eternal. And so we remind ourselves, we're not alone. Got a lot of bills, but I'm not alone. God is with me. Unemployed, but I'm not alone. God is with me. There's a virus, but I'm not alone. God is with me. And just to be real, I know that shadows fall across every life. And sometimes shadows can be scary. I mean, shadows are always uh, larger than the object that they represent. Like, have you ever seen the shadow of a truck that's bigger than the truck? <laughs> but have you ever been hurt by driving through the shadow of a truck? No, a shadow is just an image with no substance. They may seem intimidating, but never be afraid of a shadow. You know something else I've, I've realized about shadows? You never have a shadow unless you have light. So if you feel like a shadow of discouragement has fallen over your life or defeat or despair or death, turn to the light. This is why Jesus called himself the light of the world. He dispels all shadows. 
Turn your back on the shadows that unsettle you and turn your face to the Jesus who will light up your life with all the promises of God. And so right now, we're, we're going to do that very thing. We're going to turn our faces to the light of Jesus. I don't know what valley you've been going through. I don't know what difficulties you've been facing. I don't know what shadows have fallen over your life, but right now we're turning our backs on the shadows and we're going to focus on Jesus. Now, in weeks past, we focused on his death for us, but now we're going to focus on the light of his resurrection. In the light, we can see that we bear his perfection as he bore our sins. In the light of his forgiveness, in the light of his mercy, in the light of his grace. And so you have the emblems before you now. I'd like for you to take the bread and I'll pray over it. So let's take it together right now. Our Father, we call down your goodness on this bit of bread, knowing, uh, yeah, it's meant to remind us of the body of Jesus on the cross, dying in our place, but it is also the body of Jesus risen from the dead, his resurrection body. And as we consume it, we can consume what the Bible calls the incomparably great power of God to keep us moving forward through the valleys of life so that we are unafraid, so that we remember God is with me, God is with me, God is with me. So take the bread and eat it and focus on the victory of Jesus, the light of Jesus pouring over your soul. And then take the cup. Let me pray over the cup. Father, we say, please bless the cup. Because the blood of Jesus is unstoppable. The blood of Jesus lifts us out of the the valleys, takes our lives to a new level. It's not just that we are cleansed of sin and forgiven of sin. It's that now we have the supernatural life of Jesus inside us. We look to the light in Jesus' name. So take the cup and drink it. And all week long, just keep reminding yourself, I can, I can handle this. The Lord is my unshakable shepherd. I love you. I thank God for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.